Hello again. If you uh, turn back to Psalm 119, that would be good, so we can keep uh, looking at that uh, particular psalm, starting at verse 129. It's a long one. I'll uh, give you more info about that in just a moment. But why don't we pray, and then we'll get underway. Our gracious Father, thank you that we can uh, meet to read your word. We praise you that you do continue to speak to us uh, despite the trouble of our world, despite our own struggles and suffering. We pray that you would speak to us now, convict us of the truth of your word, and by your spirit give us strength uh, to live the new life that Jesus died and rose to give us, a life of of obedience to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't you hate it when someone is not as passionate about you about something? Uh, You know, you just love this thing. You think it's so great, but then someone is just like, yeah, it's okay, I guess. I think one of the biggest examples of this for me is music. You know when there's a song that you just love? You listen to it on repeat all the time. You love it, everything about it. It kind of amps up your day. You love this song, and then you show it to a friend, and you say, check out this song. It's awesome. And you watch as they listen to it. You pay attention to their face and their body language. And, and, you, what, and what do they say at the end of the song? Yeah, it's okay. And then you just kind of t- try to take the dagger out of your heart as there's just that they've just stabbed you with because they do not share your love of this song. This story is true. Uh, before Sarah and I were married, I gave her for her birthday, I think it was, some CDs, and I said, if you don't like these, we can't be friends anymore. She liked them, so that was good. It's funny, isn't it, the different things that we are passionate about and the way that God has made us to love different things to each other. Uh, today in our psalm, we see a deep, deep passion. But this is not the same as the passion of a great song, the love of a great song. No, this is a passion that you can't not have if you are to be faithful to the Lord who speaks these words. So let's look at this passion. Uh, You can see an example of it, Psalm 119, uh, verse 131, which we just read before. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commands, God. Here is a passion, a deep passion, that everyone who calls themselves a follower of the Lord should share. Well, today and next week, we're, the next few weeks, we're looking at the Psalms together. And if you don't know what the Psalms are, they're, they're a collection of poems and songs and prayers written down and, and then drawn together for God's people, for God's people to read and to pray and to sing and reflect on and learn from. And the striking thing about the Psalms, there's many things. The striking thing about the Psalms, though, the biggest thing is that they are God's word to us in the form of people's words to God. I don't know if you've thought about that before. They are both words from God to us, breathed by him that teach us what it is to faithfully live for him. And they are also words of God's faithful people that we can join in with, that we can faithfully pray, sing, reflect on as we think about God's goodness and grace and power and judgment. See, the beautiful thing about the Psalms is that we can join the psalmists as they pray, even as we learn from their prayers. And of all the prayers, of all the Psalms, 
Psalm 119 shows us these two things wonderfully. Psalm 119, if you didn't know, is the longest psalm. You'll be glad we're just looking at eight verses instead of 176 verses. The longest chapter in the Bible. And in Psalm 119, this long chapter, it's a long ode all about God's word. A long, reflective and multifaceted poem about God's word, the scriptures. And in this poem, we learn about God's word, what, what it's like, what it does in our lives. And we also have prayers that we can pray about God's word as his people. In fact, every verse in Psalm 119, except for three, so almost every verse of this massive psalm has a word or a synonym for God's word. Every line has a word like your word, God, or your law, or your commands. And actually, why don't we actually see an example of this now? So turn up, Psalm 119, and I want someone to just shout out a random number between 1 and 176. Give us a random number. 3, verse 3 says this, They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. So his ways is one of those synonyms for God's word. His ways are written about in his word. Throw out another number for us. 99. Verse 99 of this psalm says, where is it? There it is. I have more insight. This is a good one. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. Your decrees. If I just take another one and just kind of point at the paper somewhere, 133. Make my steps steady. Oh, that's the, that's the section we're looking at. Let's pick another one. <laughs> 78. Let the arrogant be put to shame for slandering me with lies. I will meditate on your precepts. The word of God, the written, recorded words that God has spoken and continues to speak. And you can see it in the eight verses that we're focusing on now. If you look at uh, verse 129... These are the ones we're focusing on today. It talks about God's decrees, God's words, his commands, his promise, his instruction. You see, God's word is a wonderful thing. This is the first thing this psalm teaches us. And it comes, God's word is a wonderful thing, and it comes to us with great variety. His written word, divinely spoken, it shows us his character and his actions and his holiness and his grace. It shows us his, his power as he decrees things into existence. It shows us his authority as he says, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. It shows us what he requires, what, what he demands from humanity, and especially from us, his people. It shows us his justice and the consequences of our sin. It shows us, most of all, his grace, how he has opened the way of forgiveness to have loving relationship with him, the God who made everything. And rules everything. He speaks and reveals these things to us. So no wonder there is this psalm. Psalm 119. No wonder there is this ode to the wonder that is God's word. In all its glory and all its blessing to us. It's only right, it's only fitting that we have this big long song about God's word. And as we look at it we see what a right attitude to God's word is. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into this short section of the psalm. Have it open in front of you. 
Uh, these, in these verses, we see the writer, the psalmist, he does two things. You'll see the headings on your outline. One, he makes declarations. He declares truths about God's word and his experience of it. And so his attitude towards God's word is seen. That's the first thing. And the second thing, he makes request, requests. Prayers about his life and his experience and God's word. So we're going to start with number one, declarations that the psalmist makes. So let's read from verse 129. And as we read, I want us to ask, what's his attitude towards God's word? Verse 129. Your decrees are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The revelation of your words brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. What does he say about God's word? He says God's word, his decrees are wonderful. The things that God says are good and right, they are good and right. And there is so much that can be reflected on and and stood in awe of in God's word. They are full of wonder. There are depths to reflect on. And did you notice, he says, I want to obey his word. He doesn't begrudge God's commands. He's eager to live them out. And then he says, the revelation or, or the unfolding of God's word brings light. It's hard for us to actually understand just how valuable light is in the ancient world. We have light on tap or or on a switch. Just flick a switch and we have light. We almost never don't have the light that we want or need. But in a world of no batteries and no power lines, darkness is a daily problem. It's a real danger. But the picture here is that as the psalmist opens the scroll to read God's word, light shines out of it. It's as if, you know, when we open our Bible, light just streams from it, shines out into the darkness. What's the image mean? Well, it means that God's word is a source of understanding, of truth, of knowledge in this dark world. Do you see his attitude towards God's word? It isn't, isn't it everything to him? It's not just an intellectual exercise for him. It affects his heart and soul. He loves God's word and he delights in it. Look at verse 131 again. It doesn't really get more emotional, more meaningful than this. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commands. Like a tired, hot Weary animal lost in a vast desert, he wants refreshment, he wants rest, and he says, God's word is where I find that rest and refreshment. Knowing God's word, reflecting on God's commands, living them out, doing those things for God's glory, that's what I long for. So when God's law says, love the Lord your God, and worship him alone. When it says, love your neighbor as yourself, when it says, honor your parents, or don't commit adultery, or don't steal, uh, when it says, be generous, whatever it says, the person who loves God and loves his word says, yes, how I long to keep your commands. Even as I struggle to keep them, I want to. To follow your commands is to know the good and beautiful life. Now, why is that so important? It's important because our world constantly tells us, doesn't it, that God's words and his commands are not good. Either they're just kind of irrelevant or they're oppressive and harmful. 
And at times we're, we're tempted to believe them, aren't we? I am. But when we come to our senses, we see that God, when we look at God's word clearly, we realize that they don't know what they're saying, that they're talking rubbish. Because when you see God's word clearly, when you understand it according to his grace and his holiness and his righteousness, you see how good and beautiful and wise God's commands are. That's why it's important that we listen to the attitude of the psalmist here. But it's also important because it's not just like the nice and comforting and encouraging parts of God's word are what we're meant to be paying attention to. The parts that talk about salvation and love. No, it's, and it's not just like the commands and the warnings and the other stuff, well, it can all be tolerated. No, it is all good. His decrees, his, his commands, alongside his grace and love, are good. They are beautiful. They are blessings for us to follow. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. I will remain in you and you will remain in me. That is beautiful. It doesn't get better than that. God's commands are full of goodness and wisdom and joy. No other law or philosophy or way of life or worldview compares with God's words and commands. Life is found in them. Eternal life springs out of them not the fleeting things of this world or the ideas of man. And it's the last verse of our passage that shows us this attitude more than anything. Look at verse 136. This is how much the psalmist loves and values God's words. He says, verse 136, My eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction, your law. Is that your experience? Have you ever felt sadness, the sadness of seeing people ignore God and just ignore his word? A few weeks ago, I was driving through Newtown, and uh, for the first time, and actually a long time, for whatever reason, uh, COVID has meant that I haven't gone to Newtown for any reason. Uh, when I was younger, when I was in my teens and early uh, adult years, Newtown was this really cool place. I don't know if it's like that anymore, but back then, Newtown was cool. It was cultured, and if you lived or you worked there, then you were awesome. (laughs) But this time, this time when I drove through, just a few weeks ago, it didn't feel like the cool, cultured place that I once thought it was. Now, instead, I kind of felt a little bit unwell, and I found myself kind of cringing in sadness as I looked out my car window. As I looked and I saw lost and broken people aimlessly going about life, ignoring the God who made them, living for the fleeting pleasures of this life instead of the eternal joys that they could have. And I felt a bit indignant, indignant that that God, my Father in heaven, and and Jesus, the Son, my Lord and Saviour, and that His Spirit dwelling in me, that His Word is just being ignored day by day by so many people in a place like that. Now, it's nothing against the people of Newtown. It's not like Newtown is any worse than anywhere else in Sydney. You can look out the window here and see the exact same attitude towards God's word. Maybe it's just that people in the inner west and kind of city, they're more open about their indifference to God and his word. They can be more upfront about it. Uh, And as I said, I used to think it was a cool place, but 
maybe not so much anymore. Isn't it all too easy for us, for us to be indifferent about that? To be okay with the fact that the vast majority of humanity, the vast majority of our city, don't follow God's instruction. Don't know his word or the gospel of his son. And and they don't have the life that we have because of God's powerful word working in our lives. Isn't it all too easy to be indifferent about our attitude to God's word? In all the ways we don't follow his instruction. We can't point the finger at others before being honest about ourselves. Don't we need to remember? To to remember and pray and that we would have the same attitude of the psalmist here. The same passion that he has. That we would weep over a world that does not follow God's good word. If we remembered that more, how much more would it drive us to repent when we fall short of God's word? And then to pray on our knees for our world, that they would know and follow God's instruction, God's word. If we are to be faithful to the God who speaks, aren't these things, aren't these attitudes things that we should have, the things we should think and feel about his word, things we should be convicted of, longing for his commands, seeing them as wonderful, enjoying their light, even mourning over a world who ignores them. These are the declarations the psalmist makes and the attitude that he holds. But the psalmist, he doesn't just declare things, he also makes requests. Uh, He also asks for things. And we see this in the other part of the psalm, verse 132 to 135. So let's just uh, turn there now. Let's see what he requests and what he prays for so that we can learn from his prayers, but also join in his prayers. And I want us to notice and learn three things from his prayer. The first thing is just the fact that he does pray. In his struggles, what does he do? He prays. Out of his need, he asks for grace and favor. He feels unsteady, and so he cries out for help. He's facing oppression, so he cries out to his judge and deliverer, the Lord. He knows the loving character of his God, and so he does what God's word invites him to do. Pray to him. It sounds so simple, and it is, but don't we always need the encouragement to to pray? The encouragement to make it a priority, to make it our habit, to just do it each day, relate to our Heavenly Father, depend on him in prayer. This week, with all the trouble in our world, I've been reflecting on 1 Peter 5. Listen to these words. Listen to this is God's word showing us God's character and inviting us to pray. 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care on him, praying, because he cares about you. How much do we need the encouragement to humbly pray as we start a new year? especially as we start the new year the way that we have. Last Sunday, I knew of seven members of 630 Church who had had COVID. Since last Sunday, I've heard of about 10 more. Maybe some of us are afraid at this time and worried, or or some of us, it's our families who are afraid and worried. 
pray. We serve the one who has all things completely in hand. Jesus is Lord, he reigns as king, and he will sustain his people till the last day, even if that means suffering, so that he might teach us to depend on him and not ourselves. So cast your cares on him. Pray. That's God's invitation. And the example we have here is simply to be prayerful. But then, here's number two. We learn from the psalmist to ask for grace. Look at verse 132. He says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. And verse 135, Show favor to me, your servant. He's asking for God's grace, God's undeserved kindness to a sinner. And that's according to God's character and his word. Because in his word, we see his gracious character. Look at uh, verse 132 again. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your practice or way or judgment. That's the synonym for God's word there. As is your judgment towards those who love your name. He prays for God's grace because God has revealed himself in his word as gracious. From his word, we know what he is like, his practice, his way, his judgment on this matter. He is gracious to those who love him. See, this prayer would be pointless if we didn't know what God was like. But he has shown and spoken I am gracious to all, especially to those who love me, who turn to me. So when we pray, we pray or we should pray, mindful, knowing with with God's grace, his gracious word in our minds. We should pray in line with his revealed character and promises in his word. Now that doesn't mean we can't bring anything and everything before our loving Heavenly Father in prayer. Uh, We can ask for whatever is on our heart and mind, and in his kindness and power, he can answer any of those prayers. But it does mean that we should focus and strive to pray the promises of God. For example, there is no promise of God that we won't get COVID. Some of you know that firsthand already. But, sorry, there's uh, some of you already know that. Jesus is, is yet to return and make all things new, isn't he? Only then will the old order of things like sickness, like death, like suffering pass away, but not yet. But we do have the promise in the scriptures, the promise of God, that he is working for the good, the ultimate good of those who love him, of his people. So we can know and we can pray that he would be gracious and that he would grow us more into the image of Jesus, even through suffering. And when you stop and think about it for a moment, it is more glorious than simply the removal of suffering. Yes, God is glorious when he heals the sick and brokenhearted, but he is more glorious when he sustains his people through sickness and suffering and they hold on to him rather than giving up. So number two, we should ask for his grace, especially the grace he has promised to give. Number three, the last thing, the third thing we learn from the psalmist's prayer is to pray for strength, to trust and obey God's word. 
Look at verse 133 and just notice why he is praying for these things. He says, Make my steps steady through your promise. Don't let any sin dominate me. Redeem me from human oppression and I will keep your precepts. Show favor to your servant and teach me your statutes. Why is he praying for God's grace? Why is he praying at all? He wants to learn all the more to trust in God and obey his word, his precepts, his statutes, the good commands displayed in his scriptures. He asks for steady steps, not steps that stumble and fall into sin so that, so that sin dominates him. No, he wants strength through the promise, through the word of God, through the encouragement that it brings. He wants to walk faithfully for and with his God. He wants to live by God's good word. That's why he prays. It's God's word and God's glory that's on his mind. And so the third thing to learn is to pray for strength, strength to trust and obey God's good word. So as we finish up, what do we see in the psalm and in the psalmist here? We see he prays because God has spoken His word brings light and true understanding. His commands are good. And in his word, God's gracious ways are revealed. And so we're invited. We're given the privilege of coming to him in prayer. To pray in trust, knowing his character and promises, and praying for his strength to do his will and live for his glory. Perhaps we haven't started the year like we had hoped. Maybe 2022 will be another hard year. But what we do know is that Jesus reigns and that this new, presents, this new year presents us with a new opportunity, an opportunity to reset our attitude on God's word, to make his word our passion and priority, the thing we yearn to know and obey. And it gives us an opportunity to pray and commit to, to, the, commit to prayer to the God who speaks like the writer of this psalm. And so, why don't we pray now? Why don't we pray the requests of this psalm? I want to pray these words actually out loud, verses 132 to 135. We're going to pray these words. It's going to come up on the screen for us. We're going to pray this for us and for our year. Sorry, there's two of us trying to play with the slides. Thanks. Please join me praying these things boldly to the God who invites us to pray. Together, God our Father, turn to us and be gracious to us, as is your practice toward those who love your name. Make our steps steady through your promise. Don't let any sin dominate us. Redeem us from human oppression, and we will keep your precepts. Show favor to your servants and teach us your statutes. In the name of our Lord Jesus, who died for us and lives and reigns with you over all things. Amen.